to our first guest. He edits the um, fantastic Five Dials Journal, which if you don't subscribe to it online, you should, um, and writes regularly for The Guardian and Granta. He's the author of Return to Aikenfield and One Million Tiny Plays. He launched his fantastic book, Londoners, here earlier this year, and tonight he gives us an exclusive peek at his new novel as a work in progress. Please welcome the very lovely Craig Taylor. I'm just going to move my things. This is like, um, it's like opening at the Monsters of Rock tour. <laughs> Anthrax, Slayer, and Megadeth. I'm really uh, pleased to be here. Uh, novel might be a stretch, but this is just something new. I like series. I did a series called One Million Tiny Plays, and this is a series entitled I Knew Nothing. And it's um, just a list of things that this character knows nothing about. And each one takes him further into, I hope, knowledge about his life. And this is the first one. I knew nothing about the word laconic. One morning not so long ago, I bought one of the weekday copies of the newspaper that has become so thin. They've become so thin, they're nearly skeletal remnants of another age. I like the feel of paper, though. It was the independent, so the choice of paper makes no difference. I bought two highlighters from Ryman's, yellow and pink. And since I had the morning free, sat at a cafe and began marking up the newspaper, highlighting in yellow the words and phrases I didn't understand, and marking up in pink the words and phrases I recognized and had read before and thought I understood when, in fact, if pressed, I could not define. I highlighted qualitative easing, but also interest rates and semicolon and also the history of Syria. And by the time I was finished, the newspaper was alive with color. If newspapers are dying, I had rouged these particular cheeks. So then I ate a croissant and tried to mark the moment However, people mark moments of import by blinking once, I suppose, purposefully, because I felt I had finally unmasked myself, or at least relinquished the long-held view that I comprehended even the basics of life, of this society, or the laws of the natural world, or even grammar. I pledged to start this project. We all skate across life with received knowledge because there are only rare occasions, increasingly rare as one gets older, when a person is brought to account and asked to define, asked if he actually knows something. As most people after the age of, say, 28 demonstrate, instead the tendency to loudly proclaim they know, or at least at some point argue a point that they know is wrong and so flimsy and in such a pained tone of voice. And now I'm speaking about the first ever entry in this project, the definition of the word laconic, which I now know has a Greek origin in which Susan wisely and confidently defined the other night after, and I can see this in hindsight, I stuck with my own definition so that I was forced, as we stood in her room in her flat in Winchmore Hill, N21, in the heat of that boiling flat, to pretend my definition was correct. Susan is, of course, a teacher, but she teaches five-year-olds, which I always think doesn't count. 
when in fact it gives her knowledge of purity as she often has to repeat ideas in the clearest way possible. And this often transfers to her personal life. Even as she was standing there, as she was that night, wearing what I take to be one of her intentionally ill-fitting bras, meaning her knowledge of, her presentation of knowledge makes me feel like a five-year-old. I don't want to say this, but I also find myself belittling her intelligence because of her room and because she decided a few months ago to prominently display on the wall near her bed a caricature from Leicester Square of herself. So that some mornings I wake up and ask who would actually do that? Especially since the artist has anglicized her in some intangible way, sleekened her and removed everything in her face and hair and body that made her, in my mind, one of the most inappropriate teachers of five-year-olds in London. Not for the children, of course, but for the large and very present number of divorced fathers. The caricature was stuck to the wall at a level that made it impossible to ignore when sleeping on the right, and was signed with great gusto by someone named Fernando. <laughs> Though that does not at all sound like an Albanian name. It could have been something he chose when he set up shop in Leicester Square, where he made her unreal, scrubbed her of the gloss, imbued her with a pleasant and complimentary English rose uncomplication and left her certainly with no hint, as you would find if Susan sat for a real portraitist, of the hint of barely repressed argument that rests near her eyebrows and certainly nothing that hints she is Greek. The Susan of the caricature would not tell stories of the divorced fathers of some of her students and the lengths they go to discuss small details of their child's progress, especially the one who marched back along a stretch of road in the rain after parking his car, hazard lights flashing, and approached her at a bus stop to say, while dripping wet, that he wanted to ask about his daughter's permission slip and what day, by the way, should it be submitted. I don't know how much exaggeration goes into her stories, so I mostly sit and listen to them with a well-prepared expression of nonchalance, which is how I arranged my face after saying, who's Fernando? When I entered the bedroom, the other night and took off my coat. I should also say I would like to learn, along with the words and ideas in that copy of the newspaper, along with much else, laconic included, just how to stop immediately appraising bedrooms and posters and bookshelves. <laughs> Although I'm not an art historian and in fact know very little about art, I enter someone's room and am immediately prepared to absorb visual clues, like someone who can scan an artwork and feel compelled to yell out fraud. Not just what is up on the wall, but how it is held there. If I can perceive in the light of the room those telltale lumps of blue tack. But also, if there are posters from exhibitions. I care when the exhibitions ran, and I wonder why, if someone has a poster of an exhibition that is still ongoing, do I feel a sort of pity, which then makes that night me pause after taking off my coat to ask myself, what am I doing again in Winchmore Hill? And also, how long does an exhibition need to be over before it doesn't bring about this response? <laughs> Which is, of course, what I believe to be part of what is eroding me from within. When I should focus on the welcoming attributes of the room, and in the case of Susan's room, the immense bed, 
Though even when I see the bed, I'm reminded it is two single beds jammed together beneath the sheet. And the lip between is a kind of small canyon. I instead say, who is Fernando? Because his confident signature on the caricature has already caught my eye. And this question immediately brings about another variation on her divorced father's stories. That while walking through Leicester Square, Susan was approached by Fernando, who deserted his easel in plastic-wrapped caricatures of Angelina Jolie and Prince Harry and batted away her reservations by promising he would draw her for free. And I somehow knew during the retelling he wore fingerless gloves and laid a hand on her arm in a way that was so much more straightforward than anything I'd done. The honest gesture of actually wanting her, guiding her back, convincing her, showing action, even just in that moment. Then Susan described the drizzle, how it had just stopped, leaving a shine on the square, and how Fernando had produced a jubilee tea towel, no doubt stolen from fancy that of London on Haymarket, <laughs> which he used to wipe off and dry the moistened camp stool. It pained me to think Susan would lower herself to that stool and into the ranks of unthinking tourists who allowed themselves to become part of this lesser bit of London. And it pained me more to know that she enjoyed it in such an unburdened way. And Susan, who was well-versed in deepening a narrative, answered me immediately when I stepped towards the caricature, coat in hand, and asked if Fernando had drawn his phone number as well. She said, no, someone else asked me for my phone number as I was sitting there. And I said, hmm. <laughs> and she said, he had me sitting there for a long time. People were walking around me. The night was alive. The rain had lifted. You know how crowds get right after the rain, especially in the West End, the surge of all those faces, all those umbrellas being shook. And I said, I can see it took Fernando a long time, what with the cross-hatching. <laughs> though, though I have no idea what cross-hatching is, and I'm sure in hindsight, cross-hatching is not a technique Fernando employed. Although he had lengthened Susan's neck and widened her eyes, so that they sat there on the paper, somewhere between soulfulness and hyperthyroidism. And if I had known what his technique was or how to describe it, I would have said something before Susan said, he saw what he wanted to see. And I asked, who? Fernando? And she said, yes. And I repeated the word Fernando in a Spanish accent, this time quieter, still with my coat in my hand still gripped in my hand because I could never find the proper place to put it down in a room lit by fairy lights. <laughs> I was thinking how lucky I was that other than Susan, I didn't know people who knew people like named Fernando. It seemed very important at the time. Next to the caricature, Susan had photos of herself tacked directly to the wall with the kind of blue tack that would leave a permanent mark when she someday moved out. And I hoped for her sake, transferred the photos of her with her friends, with her grandparents with some nieces and a nephew, to frames, because I decided that's what I wanted to discuss in that moment, taking care of the photos, not whether she had given out her number while perched on a camp stool in Leicester Square, or all the details left absent from her stories, which tended towards the temperature of the air and the sparkle of the night, but said little of Fernando's final strokes, the eye contact, all of this, the whole scene lit. I was keen to point this out by the disgusting glow of M&M world. <laughs> I wanted to say that someday she should really get a few frames. She should frame pictures, frame photos. I wanted to tell her the exhibition posters would age 
She shouldn't put up posters of shows that were still happening in London. Let them ripen and age. But there was no way to introduce this subject into what I then realized was a considerable silence. And when I said blue tack, just the word blue tack, Susan was already across the room in the dim light. Behind her, I could see an array of birthday cards arranged on her desk. Is this the part of the evening when you become laconic, she asked. And I said, what, lazy? And she said, I don't think it means lazy. At the coffee shop days later, I looked down at my weekday newspaper, and it had blossomed into something so fluorescent, the world's news made into happiness. I looked at it and saw phrases like parliamentary democracy written in the margins in my own hand, and written in the margins in my own hand, but highlighted nevertheless the word cross-hatching which I will in the coming days learn with such an accuracy. I'll be able to spot examples as I walk through Leicester Square. And I know already from walking through last night, there was a great variety of technique on display, even on this bottom rung of the scale of artistry, even on the evenings when Fernando is not there, because he wasn't according to one of the other artists, who happens to be from Macedonia, a country of two million. I know now it has a GDP of 10.17 billion. What do you think the definition is? Used to be the sim simpler question we asked each other. Maybe define it, I remembered Susan saying to me once. This must have been months ago. And I don't remember the particular word I defined for her, but I remember the energy I put into some obviously false but entertaining definition. A giant minute-long curlicue that fell behind into the afternoon in this very room in Winchmore Hill, which didn't seem to announce itself so garishly back then, we reached some sort of trust before I decided one day to correct her. I don't remember the particular word. No, I do. It was definitely. And I leapt on it because she'd spelled it on a very short note, on a handwritten note, with an A, to make definitely. And once you've corrected someone, it's hard to tip back that particular head tilt. Susan's new phone was perched on her desk. I liked her old phone, the smashed up phone with a touch screen so spiderwebbed with cracks she needed to negotiate each request, no matter how simple, from that giant complicated web of family and friends always pulsing, messaging, phoning her until she responded with a tentative staccato, unsure if the words would finally knit together on the broken screen. Her new phone had a very wide screen, and in the dimly lit room, she made a few swipes with what looked to be gentle forehand slaps and arrived at her dictionary application. I knew nothing, I realized, about the fabric of her curtains behind her and am determined to now find out how they glow with the light of the street lamp, how they diffuse, how curtains diffuse with street lamp glow. Is it nylon? And how do silhouettes form? What are the mechanics of the silhouette? One of the artists was making silhouettes, cutting them in Leicester Square when I walked through. But that was a different kind of silhouette altogether. Laconic, Susan said, reading from her phone. Adjective, using few words, expressing much in few words, concise, a laconic reply. Fine, I said back to her and her silhouette, and those curtains. 
great. Thanks. So you finished that this morning. Wow. This afternoon. It really is like, you know, a completely a completely new thing. You have no idea where it's going. I mean, it's very exciting that everybody's getting to yeah, be sharing this you know, with everybody. It's the, the prospect of shame in front of glamorous people that needs to get work done. <laughs> that motivates me the whole time. Is Winchmore Hill a real place? Yeah, it's in Okay, in, I'm just checking. I don't live in London. I live in Brighton. Um, no, I'm asking Mr. Uh, where, where is it? It's uh, in N21. It's okay. Oh, so it really is a real place. Yeah. Okay. So she's called Susan and he's called... I don't know. I don't know yet. I'm not sure. Really don't. No. So each chapter might be, is it always going to be, do you think, about a relationship between her and him? Or is it going to be about him and other people, using other people as a way of finding out what he doesn't know? I think, yeah, it'll have a kind of, uh, it'll have a combination of really firm structure and then whatever else. Because the structure is he's constantly choosing things to learn about. But what I like about the the, the framework is that it can be a word like laconic. It can be... You know, it can, he knows nothing about the death of a parent, or he, it can just widen out or, or narrow into anything. And I like that. It's a chance, it's an opportunity to learn things. For you to learn things, yeah. as well as him. Yeah. Okay, so where's the line then between you and him? I mean, it must be hard if you're trying to make him ask questions about a thing that he doesn't know about that you do know about. God, that sounds like such a boyfriend-girlfriend conversation <laughs> to be having late at night. It's like, do you know that I don't know that you know that I know? But, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, but I'm really interested now, because I've done a lot of nonfiction, and I did a big book of nonfiction, and I'm interested in nudging whatever nonfiction I want to deal with into the realm of fiction, where, where there's a less responsibility, and it's... Like, so a lot of that nudging stuff. Nudging the nonfiction into the realm of fiction? Yeah, just, just being able to, to, to negotiate that line pretty closely like a, a lot of the stuff in this project will be about the world as it is today and and sure I'll, I'll certainly use it to to look into things that I'm interested in or my own life but it's nice having a figure that's not tethered to a you know a real person so it can be exaggerated okay there's no Susan so that's a nice thing to, to be able to do Susan's so glad there's no Susan <laughs> <laughs> so there's there, there's no Susan and we, we don't know the name of our, our male protagonist but we do know that he's going to be asking a lot of questions about things that he doesn't know about which requires that he needs a degree of honesty about himself doesn't it yeah a kind of uh, an effort towards honesty but I think even even you know if you try for a kind of honesty then then um, you often fail or often deceive yourself and hopefully that's what makes it into entertaining fiction, watching someone deceive themselves as well. Do you have a sense of what the overarching narrative is? Says he's sounding like your agent no. at lunch. No. <laughs> no, I could see, you know, I like You're doing just projects for a long time. Maybe it lasts for, you know, 20 years and you, then you get someone's life changing. You get, you know, I love journals too. I like, you know, I, I was just talking about the, you know, Sylvia Plath's journal, John Cheever's journal. Joyce Carol Oates' journal. In some ways, they're so much more interesting than novels because they're, they're not linked to this schematic. And sometimes when I read novels, I feel like there's just that everything is being jammed into this plan. So I like coming up with ways of writing that allow me to, to go off, to let it sprawl. So it would be in a kind of journal format where on some, ways, on, yeah. on some kind of date, he's... Well, it would be a list of words about, you know, uh, and I like the fact that I have to keep saying it as a Canadian, about, about, about. But, uh, <laughs> I am making you say about as many times as possible. So it would be, I knew nothing about this or about that. And it would just be this list of words. And some would be quite 
lightweight and superficial, and some would be, you know, incredibly meaningful, hopefully. When, where did this all come to you? Gotta do don't something. Don't be coy with me, Craig Taylor. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm always on the lookout for, for these frameworks because they make you finish things. They make you keep going. And they, you know, if you have some sort of framework that you can just put work into, it makes it less daunting. I could never sit down. I mean, I, I was serious about the Monsters of Rock thing. Like, these are true novelists we're hearing from tonight who write big novels, and I can't do that kind of stuff. So I need to trick myself into... Oh. Into doing. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, there's like no, 25 seasons to, out there going, come on. Um, you need so to trick yourself. Into you're tricking yourself into yeah. being, thinking that you, that, that you And can. it's helpful for anyone out there who writes, who wants to write. You know, you can trick yourself into working on small things that, that don't feel as, as large and looming as a, as a novel. I want to ask you about Londoners. I mean, it's a while, not that long, but it's, it's, a, it's a little while now since it came out. And I wonder, sort of, since, since then, have people said to you, oh, you missed this bit of London, or have you discovered any kind of new bits of London that weren't, weren't in the book? Yeah, yeah, people think I'm a real expert, and it's great to show them just how little I know about <laughs> the place at all times. They want, you know, secret corners, and I have to explain to them just how much of the interviews in that book happened in Costa Coffees. <laughs> so... He knows all the Costa Coffees. Okay, I'm going to take questions, and let me guess the first one is from Sylvia. Okay, go. Hello, Craig. Um, you're possibly one of the most regular readers at Salon. What is Salon like for you on the other end of the microphone? Oh, this is a difficult question. It's just uh, terrifying in a great way. If the question was for the people who didn't hear it was, what's the Salon like for you on the other end of the microphone? Yeah, I think it's a great... I think you have to set yourself up um, to... Uh, potentially fail in front of a lot of people. It's a good way to get things done. It's a good <laughs> way and uh, yeah, I always stare out though at these things and think, who the hell are these glamorous people? Honestly, I know one of them, but that's about it. So yeah, it's, it's terrifying on many different levels, which is good for a, for a writer, I think. There's a lady here who came in from New York. Is she here? The, the lady who came, she, you got here? Congra thank you for coming all that way. Thank you for coming all that way. I'm very impressed. You get ear miles and applause. Um, Anna. That's a really good question, and a lot of people do that here, actually. Did, when, you're, when you're reading something very new aloud, are you kind of responding to it on the page? Are you making notes as you go? Yeah. So David yeah. Sedaris does a lot of time. Yeah, and I think I've seen David Sedaris read, and he has a very intricate system. But his is based on jokes and audience mm. laughter. And I think when you read aloud, it's great to just to see what you're naturally stumbling over, how you're having to improvise, and then you can go and, and incorporate those changes. But, uh, you know, I, uh, Sedaris has great gags, and mm. I think he's able to hone them and... And uh, I don't have the gags, but it is very helpful. It's very, it's very good to have that. And just to be reminded that these things should be somewhat entertaining in some way. I'll take one more question, and then we're going to go on to our next guest. Sorry, slightly blinded by that flash there, Daisy. It's okay. One more question. The there's question then will be me. There's but, someone over there. Oh, was there someone? I can't see. Oh, oh yes, yeah, there you are. Hello. Oh, bless you. And heels, too. Your question is still valid. Her question is still valid. Yeah, Craig, what was your original plan for tonight? I, um, I've sort of been working on these. This is so weird. It's so 
icky to talk about this in some ways as a, as a writer, but I've been working on two projects. And I've been reading parts of one of them here. I've done it before, um, which, is more, which is more of a, a, a you know, true fiction project. And I just didn't have anything decent for that. So I just thought, again, the terror brought about something. So, so yeah, these are the sort of the two projects. <laughs> yeah, a, each one of you will get a massive congratulations and thanks in the back. I may even publish it myself. Thank you, Craig Taylor. Thank you. Dave.